Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, diligent as they were. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus. Now you have to put this in context. At 13, the, the, the boy, the, the male, could be part of the constitution of a synagogue. There's a lot of preparations. In fact, a lot of times 11 and 12 year old Jewish boys would go into the temple as a preparation for the 13th birthday. So it's very likely that Mary and Joseph introduced Jesus to the temple, at least in these days. When they fulfilled the days as they returned the child, Jesus, he's not going to be a child much longer. In fact, probably not even now. He tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother didn't know it. But they, here's a horrible word that we're going to get to, supposing. (laughs) Supposing him to have been in the company went a whole day. And they start looking around at the kinsfolk and acquaintances And when they could not find him, they went back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. (laughs) And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. Now, of course, these are doctors of the law. These are doctorates of, of the Torah both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. You know, it's one thing to ask people probing questions. It's another thing to be able to give an answer. A lot of people have fancy questions. You you feel like they really know it, but very few have answers. And when they, Joseph and Mary, saw him, they were amazed And his mother said unto him, Son, why did you do this to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee, sorrowing. We've been crying. We've been searching for you. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Didn't you know? I must be about my father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spake. I want you to just put your Bibles down and just for 30 seconds, I want you to lift your hands and hearts just for a full 30 seconds. Would you do that now? Come on, somebody lift up your voice now to the Lord. I need you. I'm searching for you. The Holy Ghost is on you right now. 
the Holy Ghost was falling right there in that area, right there. Yeah, 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 yes, 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 yes. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise a little bit. Give him praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. We need Jesus today. I thank you, and you may be seated. When you're seated, one more time, clap your hands unto the Lord. I know I'm asking you some things here today. A handful of years ago, a group of insincere Pentecostals were asking questions in order to supplant the doctrine of separation from the world. They were questioning the necessities of lifestyle, of attire, of the spoken word, and they devolved into the question of alcoholic drinks. The questions were usually prefaced by the fact that God is a God of love, that he is of great kindness, and of course, that such a God surely would not reject people on the base of some man-made rule, as they said. Now, the questions were wide and varied. I cannot spend much time rehearsing them, and I will not, but I was privy to them and to the people who posed such things. I can tell you today that those who dismantled holiness eventually removed the name of Jesus in baptism. They negotiated with the Godhead until now some of them have no lines between their version of biblical understanding and Catholicism. But their questions did not arise from their human spirits. No, their questions are rooted in the demonic world. Lucifer asked the first question. With a few subtle words, Lucifer planted a seed of doubt in the minds of God's most perfect creations. He said in Genesis 3 verse 1, Yea, hath God said, did God really say that? Do you think God really cares what fruit you'll eat in this garden? To the rational mind, surely God wouldn't expel us over one bite of one fruit. And the introduction of Lucifer's question combined with their disobedience created a gulf of darkness that is not soon removed from the mind of all of us even today. Does God still speak? I ask you today, can God use a fallible individual to proclaim his infallible word? You see, that the darkness has invaded the lives of so many people. The numbers are staggering. And not just for those who are lost, but for those who once found the truth and then questioned whether or not they found it. When God cursed Egypt in order to crush the hand of Pharaoh, God spoke to Moses and he said in Exodus 10, 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Look at the last line. Even darkness which may be felt. Because there is a literal darkness that occurs in the setting of our sun. And there is another darkness that can be felt. The darkness is both the absence of God and the presence of the enemy. Satan 
was always trying to disrupt the nature of God. He was and he is in pursuit of your mind, the minds of men and women. And he does so by distorting the goodness of the Lord so that even death or sickness makes us question God's love for us. He questions things so that the boundaries that are meant to keep us unspotted from the world look like restrictions instead of protections. It is the design of the devil to put a question mark on all of God's exclamation marks. And to see it more clearly, all we have to do is discover the first words of our omniscient and omnipotent God. His first words were this, let there be light. I don't want to go too deep into this, but I, I need to tell you this again, and I'll tell you it over and over again. It's called the law of first mention. The law of first mentioned. When God spoke in the Old Testament in the beginning, his words are not just trapped or confined in the moment of that, of that speaking, but they are layered. They go beyond the moment. He said, let there be light. It was both a literal command and a creative measure. It was both for the moment and for all time. He was not only giving sunshine to our planet, casting this ball of fire in its place, but he was also giving light to the future sinner and the lost. He was looking at the moment and beyond the moment. He saw, he saw time in its completeness because he was not bound by time. He was looking at the darkness that would be felt by the soul of men, not just by the eyes of our understanding, but darkness that can be felt. And there in the corridors of, of our future stood Emmanuel, God with us, who said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So when God said, let there be life, light, he wasn't just talking about the moment, but it's layered somewhere in the, our future, not his. Jesus turned to his disciples at the moment that they were temporal and carnal. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And then he said this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The first words of God were critical. He is the light. He cast the light. He said, let there be light. He is the image of what we are to be, the light. True disciples of Jesus Christ are not just trying to make it through another long week. Real believers and followers are not just hoping to hide out in public so that they can relax on at church on Sunday. We are made in his image. Jesus called us salt and light. You can just put your hand on yourself. You are salt and you are light. He said in Matthew 5, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, how can it be salted? What good is it? It is no good being cast out, trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Light is the position of the believer and a true follower is known, seen, revealed in the dark world. God said, let there be light. That was his first command. He spoke it. He determined it. And the past and past the point of the foundations of the world coming together. He said, let there be light. And past the point of the clouds cast into their corners. He said, let there be light. 
And far past the wind current set in motion and the fowls blanketing the sky and the waters brimming with fish past all those moments of incomprehensible, unfathomable times when something came out of nothing past that point down to the annals of time. You and I were meant to be the light. We are made in his image, the church, the light, a city, not a church building, though that might have some value, but individual temples of the most high God, walking, shining, and light. You are the light of the world. Do you realize what you are? You are the light in a dark world. The darkness can be felt, and you that are born again are the light of the whole world. I think you need to know it. When the rapture is called and the last trump of God sounds, when the salt is gone out of this world, I'm telling you, there will, there, that there are, it's going to damage the people. When it's gone and the salt is gone and the light's gone, the salt that preserves the world, when it's taken away, we are the salt of the world when it's taken away from protecting the planet. This world is going to, to decay. We are protecting this world. You are the protection of the whole world. Not military. Not bombs and guns and treaties and alliances and NATO and the United Nations. Jesus said that the church is the salt and the light. You and I are the savior that sustains the planet. Hmm. You're the light that shines and the salt that must preserve. You are a city through which the Holy Spirit shines. You are pressing against the darkness of the demonic spirit world. And I know that all this might sound a little mystical, but if there is any truth in the scripture, then know that just as Gabriel was hindered by the evil spirit called the prince of persia for three weeks until the archangel michael could come and make war so too there is a darkness felt by everyone who is waging a battle against the forces of the enemy and that enemy has posed a question to disrupt the light and the salt and the mission did god say really you have to be devoted did god want you to give did god want you to sacrifice worship all the time praise when you know you're unworthy thanksgiving when you are in loss and despair is that what god wanted you to do I tell you that there are enough questions posed by the prince of the power of the air without us taking each other to task. There are enough forces to deal with outside the body. The nuances of this life are many and I say that God, his body, must get together. There ought to be strength and love and compassion and worship and unity in the house of God. We are here to hear the word and then to respond to it. We are here to make battle plans to defeat the enemy and reach the lost. Because if it's anything else, then the church just changed from a fishing boat to a cruise ship. Man, I like the cruise ship. Princess Cruises. The Royal Caribbean. You feel like a monarch. There is food 24 hours a day. It's not even like a hotel. They change the sheets and then take your towels. And they create animals with your towels and put them on your bed and they take your sunglasses and they stick them on these beautiful towels. There's little chocolate on your pillow when you come back. It's like 
a heavenly host just comes in and the chocolate angel just deposits mint chocolate. There's nothing like the cruise. You get on, you're welcomed. You could order a second helping, a third or fourth, or in our case, until they run out of shrimp scampi. You are pampered. You are the guest. Your position is, they need me. I was wondering while we were singing that last song, I need you. I was wondering how many people were singing, no, I don't really think so. Lord, you need me. The the, the fishing boat is much different than the cruise ship. There are no lounge chairs on the fishing boat. Nobody's walking around with hors d'oeuvres on the fishing boat. There are no caterers on the fishing boat. Nobody folds the towels on the fishing boat. Nobody, ever, on the, on the cruise ship, everybody has their own restroom. <laughs> on the fishing boat, it's got this little dungeon they call the head. <laughs> the elder said, Lord, help us. <laughs> On the fishing boat, it smells on the fishing boat. Jesus called us to be fishers of men. There is no other purpose for your life. That's your mission. That was his commission. So let your light shine. And Peter wrote it like this. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake... You, should, you ought to be happy and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And here it is. And be ready. Everyone say, be ready. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you and do it with meekness and with fear. Hear me. you got to be ready. You have to have an answer because you are on a mission. It's not your mission. It's his mission. It's not my commission. It's his commission. I'm trying to get to my message, but before I get there, you got to know who you are. You're not just a member of a local assembly. You're not just a person that's waiting through life. You're not somebody who just showed up for church. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. You are the light to a dark world. You are the power of the Most High God inside of you. I don't know if God spoke before Genesis 1 and 3. Those were just the first words that Moses recorded. And we don't know if Jesus, obviously he spoke before I read it to you. He was born, his arrival is attended by magi and shepherds. There's a star that becomes the guiding light. It's like a big flashlight. It's hovering atop the place of his, of his birth. The angel has declared his arrival and Mary and Joseph have done their part. But there are no recorded words of Jesus in his childhood. It wasn't until the family had grown and the routine of life had set in that we find a word from the incarnate God. The family has made the journey to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover at Jerusalem like they always had done. It was their practice. It was their tradition. Mary and Joseph were friends with people from their own community. The Bible says when they fulfilled the days, they returned. The Lord wasn't with them. They were with their friends. The adults got to talk. Watch this now. But they supposing him to have been in the company. They assumed they had a priest 
presupposition they, that Jesus was going to stay close to them. They did not have to watch him, but they thought he would be watching them. And their supposition caused them to lose Jesus. And I stand here today to say to all of us that one of the most dangerous and destructive things in our walk with God is the supposition itself. Thinking that God is just going to show up just because it's his duty. And we say, here we are, God. I'm glad you've been watching out for me. Some suppose that it doesn't matter where you attend church. Some suppose that any doctrine is sufficient to get to heaven. Some postulate that they can say whatever they want to say. That, that gossip don't have seeds or accusations won't find root in their own life. It's a supposition of the worst kind. Some suppose that the Lord is just near all the time. There's no real need to keep our eyes on him. Some suppose that reading the scripture is inconsequential to a holy life. That maybe the Bible is just a good book, but it's not bread. Perhaps the Bible can be segmented so we can just take out what we like and dismiss the rest. Some think that no knowledge is the same as a free pass, never really knowing that God no longer winks at ignorance, but he commands all men everywhere to repent. Suppositions have led a million people down dark paths. Some are still walking into oblivion and will not know it until it's too late. They're going down a road thinking that there's no destruction on that road. They suppose something is wrong. Tammy and I were in Louisiana driving from one town to another. I think we were going to a service in Texas. So we left Louisiana. We just crossed the border there. It was real close. And there was a sign that said, road closed. But I supposed... (laughs) that whoever put up that sign was not telling the truth because I'm a man. And the road looked good, so I drove on past the sign. There was another sign, but the flashing light wasn't on and and the top of the sign was folded in half. It said road road closed. And I thought, "Mm mm-hmm. I told you this road was open. I thought there's no way they're going to shut down this entire road. It's a cruel joke, so I just kept driving. I kept on going and going and going. It was wonderful, making good time until we came to the bridge that was no more. And the sign said, bridge out. And as I turned around, Tammy said, mm-hmm. Those are fighting words right there. I'm on my way back. We didn't say a word. Finally, she turned to me and said, didn't think it was true, did you? Who do you think put up those signs? The bridge is out. The road's closed. The time is short. The mission is calling. The lost are dying. The gospel is calling. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. The trumpet's going to sound. Heaven and hell are at the end of the days that you're living at right now. The best thing that could ever happen to you is that you would make the rapture. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is you would not make the rapture. 
The worst thing is not for your car to break down. The worst thing is not for you to go without food. The worst thing is not for your house to burn. That's not the worst thing. In fact, comparatively, it's nothing. Oh. Mary and Joseph have stumbled because they had a false idea that the Lord was with them. He should have been with them. He was, after all, their son. They thought that he should have been the one following after them. The days of the Passover were through. They were going back home. It's a time of fellowship among the small group of families from Nazareth. But Jesus is not with them. They supposed that he was there, but they did not keep their eye on him. They loved him at the moment of his birth. No one could turn away, but turn the page and Jesus is left behind. Not because he left them. Which brings me to an axiom of truth. If you ever lose Jesus, it's not because he left you. It's because you left him. And when they discovered that he was missing, they panicked and raced back to the city. They searched for him for three days and finally they went to the temple. There he was teaching learned men the scriptures. Here's the Bible. Sitting in the midst of all of those men. Hearing them Asking them questions, giving them answers. They were astonished at his understanding. And when they found him, Mary and Joseph, they were oblivious and couldn't even pause to take notice of what he was doing. They were just filled with such anxiety that Mary scolded him and said, Why did you treat us like that? I thought you were supposed to be with us. I thought you were supposed to be following behind us. And here are the first words the Bible ever records Jesus speaking. You ought to pay attention to the first words. Let there be light. Here are the first words. Are you ready? How is it that you sought me? Wish not that I must be about my father's business. Because they thought they were doing what they should do. And they supposed something that was untrue. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover. But Jesus did not allow their tradition to interfere with the Father's business. And I said all of that to preach my sermon. The family's business is the Father's business. I hope you can hear me. The great hindrance to the father's business is often the religious business. Jesus didn't throw away tradition. He went, but he knew where it belonged. Yes, the Passover is the remembrance of how God, through Moses, brought them out of Egypt. Yes, the feast of first fruits is where the law was given. Remember it. Yes, Sukkot. Reminding them of the journey. Throw in Purim if you want to, or to remember how Esther went before an unhinged king and saved the Jews from the devices of Haman. But the father's business is more important than the functions of tradition. The father's business is the commission for us all to teach. And teaching people the gospel is not left up to people who are paid to work in the church. The father's business is the business of the church. This is the family business. And every day that you live, 
there are going to be things biting at your heels to keep you out of the Father's business. Every day there are going to be obstacles, large and small, that will divert your attention from the Father's business. Hear me, we've got to reach our city with the name of Jesus. That is the Father's business. I'll tell you why. Because neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Nobody's going to be saved without the name of Jesus. Here, Pastor. The naysayer will ask, do you really have to be buried in the name? Does the name have any power? Is that important? Did God say? It's I'm about my father's business here today. Because God said through the word, when Paul wrote, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every things in earth, every things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you want to know what I'm doing, I'm preaching my father's business. I'm in the family business. I'm going to baptize everybody in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. It is my commission. It's your commission. You are the salt and the light. Here, pastor today, we got to be about the father's business. I know you got a lot of things pulling on you, but we got to be about the father's business. I'm just preaching one sermon here, but there ought to be whatever number of people here, you ought to have your own message and your own lesson, your own teaching to one person who's lost. I'll tell you what happens in the church. We got our ratio wrong. We got our ratio upside down, incorrect. Paul said, one plants, another waters. What's the ratio? What's the ratio? One plants, another waters. God gives the increase. What's the ratio? It's not one to ten. It's not one to five. It's one to one. One plants and another waters. I'll tell you what happens in the church. Somebody plants, everybody wants to water. Well, my ministry is in the church. I I teach. I teach the people in my home that are in the church. I teach all the folks that come. That's my ministry. And, and, and no, we're not, we're, not, we're not sowing. We're not planting. We just all want to water. And so people come in and they're oversaturated. And we're raising people who think every day they have got to have some word for their life from some expert teacher. There are so many. When you overwater a garden, you can drown the whole garden out. I'll tell you, some of us in this house, you know more scripture than than most preachers around the world and more people before us there were no there's no internet there's no commentaries there's a 1611 King James Bible we've got more exegeting power more Hebrew and Greek translations you know more word you ought to be out salting and lighting the whole world with what you know you can save an entire city but you think my, my ministry is in the church. I'll tell you where your ministry ought to be. It ought to be at your job. It ought to be at your house. It ought to be at your kitchen table. Come on. What business are you in? I'm in the family business. And the family business is the father's business. It's a non-negotiable command of Jesus Christ. It's the Father's business because he would have all to be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Truth, ladies and gentlemen, demands a voice. Not just mine, your voice. Truth demands time. Not just my time, your time. The Father's business is more important than any business. And if you remember what your mama told you, when you start butting your nose in other people's affairs... 
or your good friend, if you ever had a good friend, when you start gossiping about someone else, I'll tell you, the wisdom said, mind your own business. I'll tell you what your business is. It's the family business. It's the father's business. See, truth is trying to get into your conversation. But if all you talk about is sports and fun and games and, 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 and guns and NASCAR and, and crochet and scrapbooks and, and, and clothing and, and, and politics, you'll have no time to talk about the, about the gospel truth that's going to save the world. Redemption is trying to shine through that cloudy mix of your daily grind and our physical duties. But at every juncture, we've got to be fishers of men. The father's business is the only business that matters. I know you've got to get up tomorrow and you've got to get to your job. Some of you have a job that starts this afternoon. Hear me. But that's not your business. That's just your job. It's not your online business. It's not your personal business. Hear me when I tell you, you've got to be about the Father's business. And the Father's business is calling you. The Father's business is to reach the world. And if you don't do it, God will give it to somebody else. I wonder how many people are going to be on church on Sunday when the rapture comes and they'll never hear the sound of the trumpet. I'm concerned about people thinking that they're saved, but they never made a disciple. I just come for the preaching. I just come for the music. I just, listen, I, I, like, I like the youth program and I just want my kids in a good youth program. I like the children's program. Love the children's program. Really, is that, why you're, is that why you're in the church today? Let me tell you, none of those things ought to connect you to this house. It ought to be the father's business that connects you. If your child stops liking the Sunday school teacher and says, I want to stay home, you're going to say, well, I'm not going to church anymore. You know, they just don't have a good Sunday school program. And we got a great Sunday school program. We got loving teachers and we got beautiful people working with our children. We're so grateful. But what if we didn't have that? Do we have to have a Sunday school program to love and be devoted? We got a great youth pastor, perhaps the best that this city has ever seen. And his wife phenomenal people but what if we didn't have that is that what's going to keep you in the church you ought to be so devoted to the truth and the gospel of jesus christ if we never had another easter program if we never had another christmas program if we had to do like many churches have to do and put a cd tape player or something maybe an old soundtrack of a songs and we sang to it and clapped to it and we only got to sing it for three and a half minutes and we got to do it a couple of times. And if the worship kept going, you just rewinded or started over again. We got all of that. We don't have to worry about that. But what if that's all we had? I don't really like that place. I'm going to tell you, you ought to get connected to the Father's business. And the Father's business is not always going to appeal to you. Feed me. Look at me, Lord. You need me here. I'm going to tell you what. He's looking for a bride. And if you don't want it, he'll give it to somebody else who does want it. Oh, I'm preaching today. I'm about my daddy's business. I want to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I'd like to help you. I want to give you a little direction. But I've been shirking off a few, a few meetings. Why? Because I realize that conversation is not the father's business. That conversation is not the father's business. I got to be about the father's business. 
I don't think I'm going to die. I'm thinking I'm going to live like my elder until I'm 92. <laughs> you know, elder, he, he put me in my place several times, but one of the times I was frustrated and I got together, we, we were having a board member and I said, I tell you, we just need to start planning. I had a plan because in so many years I'm going to be 60 years old. And all the men, they just shook their head, yes, yes. And Elder Heiss looked at me and said, well, what happens when you're 60? <laughs> Don't ever tell a 92-year-old guy, i got to get prepared for 60. What are you talking about, 60. I was running seven miles a day at 60. You got to get up. You ain't, old. you ain't over. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I don't want to waste my breath on junk that doesn't matter. I got to be about my father's business. Hear me. I'm going to be about my father's business. I don't want to take on anything that's not about my father's business. You can take away everything, but you're not going to take away my father's business. You can strip me of everything, but you're not going to take, I'm in the family business. I'm going to, I'm in the soul winning business. I'm in the soul seeking business. I'm in the preaching business. I'm in the exhortation of the gospel business. Come on. I wonder who's in the family business. I want to know who, who wants to be in this kind of business. Hey, if you don't want it, it's okay. Uh, Brother Brown, where are you, Brother Brown? Brother Brown, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't want to just point you out like this. Just keep standing. This man is a sweet man. He's a kind man. He's a gentle man. And it comes out in everything he says. He loves God. He's had his own nightmares and his own situations. And he's a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he got up and he led us in prayer. And you know what he said? I wrote it down. And you know why he said it? Because he's sweet. He's kind. He's gentle. He don't want to hurt your feelings. He said, if you have a need, come to the front. And we will pray. That's right. If you have a need, you come to the front and we will pray. You may be seated. Now, that, Brother Brown, is where I want you to stop. But because he's kind, he said, but if you, he looked up, nobody's coming. If, but if not, just raise your hand. We'll come to you. He moved on. I looked up at him. He didn't look at me. I was scowling. <laughs> what are you talking about? Sweet man of God, kind, gentle soul, meek and humble like our Lord. What? You mean if they have a need and they're desperate for God? We'll just come back for you. Let me tell you, honey, if you got a need and you can't get out of your seat... If you got a need and you can't grovel to the front, if you're so proud, if you're so arrogant that you don't have to call on God, I'm going to tell you, God will find somebody that wants him. God will find somebody that's looking for him. If you decide that coming to church is going to be a good time and you're just going to get with your friends and you're going to talk about where you're going to eat after church and you're going to talk about the sports and the weather and politics, God's going to say, I'm going to minister to somebody who's watching for me. If you got a need and you're so desperate for the need, the Bible says that the church ought not to call you. 
I put it on Facebook. Listen, if you put your need on Facebook and you think that that's a way to get from me, get to me. If you think you're going to give a subtle message on Facebook and somehow I'm going to get it. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Are there any sick among you? Let them call. If your need is not that great for you to get up and make a call, it's probably not that great. Now, I want to pray for your dog to have puppies. I want you, but I can't. This has happened to me a couple of times. Pray for my dog to have puppies. I want to tell you right now, if that's your prayer, I hope those dogs get the mange. I ain't praying for your dog to have puppies. All dogs go to heaven. Didn't you know that? Hadn't you watched Disney enough? I ain't praying for them. If they die, they're going to heaven. You ain't going to heaven. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your loved ones. I'm praying for our city. And if you don't want, God wants to pour out his spirit. He didn't change. Wait, and he didn't change in the last 24 hours. Can I have that now? Can I have it? Can I have it? Uh-uh. I need my picks. Looks like a bunch of ants, doesn't it? Come on. That is the Philippines in the last 24 hours. Oh, see all those hands up? See all the, Thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people. Can you give me, give me the other picture? Thousands of people. Look at over the top. Thousands. Thousands. You know what they said? They can't hardly even estimate it. But they, they, they're pretty sure. Conservative numbers. Between 8,000 and 10,000 people lifted up their hands and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. Listen, if we don't want it, he'll go to the Philippines. If you don't want it, He'll go down the road. He'll go to another country. I got to be about my father's business. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be. I'm going to be in my father's business. Don't tell me that the Holy Ghost is limited to the Philippines. It ought to be poured out here. I'm almost done. Just stand with me now. Ah. Ah. You know what they said of the, of the disciples? They filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Huh. Oh. We got so much on our mind and so much on our plate. We forgot the father's business. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know? Why'd you suppose that I had to follow after you? Didn't you know what I was called to be? Didn't you know what I was created to be? I am God's only son wrapped in flesh, the incarnate Emmanuel, God with us. Jotham had the vision, and I'll end this. Jotham's parable was the parable of trees. It's in the Old Testament. The trees grand and swaying with leaves aplenty. They tower over all 
of the other plants, shrubs and vines. And the trees in the parable of Jotham look down to find a vine. It's a vine that bears the fruit of the grape. And the trees in the parable beseech the vine to come and rule over them. We'll give you a position. We'll lift you up and esteem you. You can lord over all of these magnificent trees. You can be our king. Look at all the wonderful things we're offering you. Look at how much purpose we'll give you by being the leader of all the trees, these swaying, magnificent branches extending far roots that are so deep. Leaves that turn and change. It gives cover. And the vine replies to the trees. Should I leave my fatness to be your Lord? Should I leave my ability to make wine that brings health to men? Should I leave what God ordained me to do to serve a position over the trees? Should I? Is that what you're going to do today? You're going to find some platform, some position in this life, and you're going to leave the salt and the light behind? God wants to use you for his glory. He's ready. I don't care what doctrine you get, what position you have. It doesn't matter what kind of money you put in the bank. It doesn't matter how many people love you. It doesn't matter what you have, what you have attained in this life. Don't leave the call and the commission. I'm saying today the Father's business. There's one more time in the scripture. It's the early part of the Lord's ministry. He walks into the temple. He's now past the age of 30. Just barely past that age and he goes into the temple. He finds merchants selling. He's finding them in usury taking advantage of people the Bible says that Jesus made a whip and he went in with his homemade whip and he kicked over the money changers tables and beat them out of that place he whipped them out of their place they're scrambling for their coins and shekels maybe perhaps a a gold spinning coin on the floor. They're grabbing it up and he's yelling at them, get out of here! My father's house is not going to be a house like this. No, a house of prayer. And here's the next line. And then his, bo- and then his disciples remembered the scripture when they saw it. Here's, the, here's the, what they remembered. The zeal 
of thine house has eaten me up. I don't have time for that garbage. I don't have time for that conversation. I don't have time to get involved in that. I don't have time for another, another thing in my life. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. It's all about the Lord. It's all about the church. It's all about the souls. It's all about Bible studies. The people who don't know the word. It's all about prayer. It's all about fasting. It's all about sacrifice. Did God say you had to do it? Yes, he did. And God said it. He put it in his word. It's all about the scripture. It's all about getting out of this grimy world and then reaching back and pulling people from the fire. Some through love. Some through fear. It's all about the gospel. It's all about his death, his burial, his resurrection. Because Peter preached the keys to the kingdom. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the promise of the Father. Put my picture back up, please. Put my picture back up. There's our city right there. There's our city right there. Ha! There's us worshiping at the Holman Center right there. Ha! I'm asking for a Lord. I'm knocking for a Lord. I'm seeking for a Lord today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Thursday and fill my mouth on Wednesday. some of you are so bound up by stuff you can't hardly reach in around the word hear me get rid of that I take dominion over all that stuff that's binding up your mind and pray that God would make you a disciple maker I promise you when you become a disciple maker you'll get your priorities in line ah ah come on everybody now right now seek for him right now seek for him right now here's the scripture early will I seek thee if happily I might find you he's not far from you but you gotta seek for him you gotta want him I'm asking for people who want revival I'm asking for people who want to baptize new converts in Jesus name I'm not asking for more people to teach a Bible class to people who already know the Bible I'm asking for people to teach a sinner who never had a chance Master for people, do your job, but know that even on your job, you're in the Father's business. I want you to go to work tomorrow. I want you to go to work today. I want you to always be in the Father's business. This is the family business. You're in the family of God. It's His business.